You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, Northway family. You doing all right this morning? Come on, come on. Caffeinated service, let's go. Good to see you, 1115. If you got a Bible with you, I would love for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Are you all ready for some good news this morning? Can you use some good news this morning? And we have got good news right here in Romans chapter 10 and uh, such a timely, timely good news in, in the midst of uh, a year that's been filled with a lot of bad news. And if you are uh, just joining us here uh, at Northway Church, I want to welcome you. My name is Shay Sumlin, one of the pastors here, and uh, we have been walking through a letter in our New Testament that was written in the first century uh, to the church that was in Rome at the time. And this This whole letter is all about good news, the good news that God has found a way to rescue and redeem a broken humanity. And that good news is always um, preceded or even juxtaposed against some bad news. And we all agree that our world is broken, our world is fractured. You don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge that. We recognize it's been a difficult year, just got a lot of issues in our humanity right now and in our just physical earth. And uh, and the scriptures do not avoid that. They speak to it. Every every worldview that's out there seeks to answer those major questions of what's wrong with the world, what's the solution, what's the path forward, um, is there ultimate hope? And this is what the scriptures do. And specifically, the book of Romans comes right out of the gate identifying the brokenness of our world and why it is the way it is. Again, everybody agrees the world is broken. Not everybody agrees on why. And Our God has told us why the world is the way it is. And it's because in the midst of his benevolence and his grace and his his beautiful architectural design for humanity that was meant to lead towards our flourishing, the whole thing got fractured when his creation rebelled against God as the creator. When we chose to exchange the truth of God and settle for lies uh, about God and, and instead worship the creation over the creator. And the moment that happened, a curse ensued. A judgment went out, an edict went out over the entire earth that would judge both the humanity as well as the physical creation itself, where we would be separated and alienated from God. And we would see pain on this earth rather than the goodness that God perfectly designed. And when all else seemed hopeless, Paul not only tells us this bad news here, but then when we get to chapter three in the book of Romans, he lays forth the good news that our God has found a way to make all that is wrong right, to make all that is broken healed and restored. And he starts by healing and restoring the greatest issue that we have, which is our enmity with God. The fact that our sins that have separated us from God, God has found a way to forgive those sins by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth who would come in perfect righteousness, the righteousness we didn't have. He would live in perfect obedience to God in a way in which we had rebelled. And he would go to the cross and absorb the just due penalty of our sin, which was death. And he would take that for us. And he would take the justice of God, the wrath of God off of us and put it on him. And by putting our faith in Jesus, we get the righteousness that was in Christ that we needed but couldn't earn and deserve, and that is credited to our account by faith. 
Our sins are forgiven and immediately, it doesn't just leave us there. What, what Romans shows us is that God not only finds a way to save us, but part of this good news is that he also found a way to sanctify us. Big fancy word that simply means to set us apart for something more noble, for what we were originally created and designed for that sin has flawed. And day by day through indwelling us with the Holy Spirit of God, in indwelling believers who put their faith in Jesus. That Holy Spirit, through God's word, begins to conform us, change us from the inside out, really change our affections, change our desires, as well as our deeds, and day by day, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, who we look more like Jesus by the time that we're done, until the very end, when God will send Christ back again, return to the earth, he will finally put down all sin, all evil. He will make all things new. We will then be in a day ushered into the fullness of his kingdom where we will know no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, just eternity with God and worship as he designed forever and ever. Like this is the good news that he has given our planet. This is the good news that he has given us. And he puts before us the plan to pursue that, to receive that good news, or to reject it. And what we see, though, is that part of what makes this news good, we saw this starting in Romans 8 and into 9, is that, that God has found a way to secure us. Not just save us, not just sanctify us, and as we'll see here soon, even send us out, but to actually secure us in his love forever, never to have this salvation taken away. And the reason is, is because God has chosen us before we ever chose him to be blameless in his sight through Jesus Christ before the foundations of the earth were even laid. Romans 9 was clear. God is sovereign over our salvation. Ephesians 1 is clear that God chose us for this salvation before the foundations of the earth were even laid, which means we didn't have anything to do with it before the earth was even created. He chose this. And with that, what we've seen is while that is a beautiful thing to a believer to know that you are secure in the arms of Christ, it also creates some tensions. Tensions, as we saw last week, of the sovereignty of God and salvation, um, of just his choosing and our responding, our responsibility to receive that salvation, the tension that exists there. But if you keep paying attention, one of the other tensions that's gonna come forward is not just the sovereignty of God and salvation, but the sovereignty of God in evangelism. Meaning if God is the one who chooses, then, then doesn't, doesn't that conflict with our responsibility to go share that message? I mean, if God's in charge, do we even need to do anything? If he'll, he's ultimately gonna carry out his purposes one way or another, why, does it depend on me at all? Well, I'm glad you asked. Welcome to chapter 10 again. We're gonna look at two verses today, just two. Verses 14 and 15. And what I want you to see is the argument that Paul's gonna put forth of the sovereignty of God in not only decreeing the end of people getting saved, but how God decrees even the means to lead to that end of how he is going to get them saved. And you're gonna see this in just these two verses here. Now, again, we pick up where we left off last week, verse 13 of chapter 10 Paul dropped down a quote from Isaiah in the Old Testament, laid down this fact that simply says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that a fact? That is a fact. Anybody that's gonna put their trust in Jesus Christ 
will be saved. Does that conflict with God's sovereignty? Not at all. Coincides right with it. But whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to reverse engineer, and he's going to show us five critical pieces of God's mean means towards that end of how he moves these certain parts to bring about his ultimate plan. So if indeed, verse 13 is true, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, then the natural question comes in verse 14, well, how then will they call on him for that salvation in whom they have not believed? And this is important. Each of these steps we're gonna look at. I want you to stop right there and ask, man, is that true? Can you call on somebody to save you in whom you have not put your trust in to do so? And meaning nobody asks for help from someone in whom they cannot first trust to provide what they're needing help in. If I'm going to call an electrician to come out to my house, if I'm gonna call um, a uh, a lawn repair, do some sprinkler repair, whatever it may be. Um, if I'm going to call upon somebody to come help me, I am putting my trust in their ability to be able to do that, what I'm asking them to do. Belief has to come before calling upon somebody to come help. And it's important here that we understand what belief is again. Looking back, thinking back to receiving this gospel that we talked about last week. Belief in this context is not just intellectual assent. There is a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. There is a difference between having a cognitive intellectual understanding of what somebody can do and you're actually receiving their ability to do it for you. This is the difference that we're talking about here. And I know many of us grew up in, uh, as, as the kind of the product of a generation before us, or maybe you grew up in a home where you saw a discontinuity in your parents or in others around you in their faith, where they had this profession that they believed in Christ, but you saw this outward hypocrisy that appeared to be, they weren't even trusting in this Jesus that they claimed to believe in. They weren't trusting him for anything. And there was a disconnect there. And understand what we're not after is that kind of belief here, just knowing about Jesus. You need to be careful if thinking that just because you grew up in a Christian home, that makes you a Christian. We've talked about that before. It does not work that way. We don't, salvation doesn't work through osmosis. Just because you go into McDonald's doesn't mean that makes you a Big Mac, okay? Just because you grew up in a home doesn't mean that's true of you. You've got to put some trust in something. But it can't be just intellectual cognitive assent. Let me, let me put it this way. When you think about all the people that are in the Bible, all the characters that are in the scriptures, do you know who it is that actually has the most accurate understanding and belief in Jesus of everybody in the scripture? It's the demons. James chapter two says, you believe that God is one? You believe in God, the oneness of God? Good for you. Guess what? Even the demons believe that. James is telling us if this salvation is just about 
cognitive intellectual scent knowing about somebody, well, the demons understand who God is. They understand who Jesus is and what he did better than anybody. And yet they are not trusting in him for their salvation. So let us guard against thinking that belief is simply knowledge. True faith isn't just believing in, it is believing for. It is actually trusting in Jesus to provide for you what you could not provide on your own. You believe that he is Lord, that he came as God in that manger. You believe that he lived the life that you could not live. You believe that he absorbed the death that you deserved. And you believe that he rose from the dead to give you new life. And therefore, it's not just knowing about that, you actually take your trust that was formerly in yourself for your own salvation, your own good works, or whatever you think it was, or other people or other religions, and you take all that trust and you repent from that and you turn and you give that trust to Jesus and you allow him to be your savior and your Lord. And that means from this point forward, you are now not your own. You've been purchased by him. Your whole life is no longer yours, but it's his. It's as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live anymore. It is him. It is Christ who lives within me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am not my own. I'm his. That is belief. That is transferring trust and now surrendering your life into the fullness that is in Jesus Christ. And you know, that opportunity is still available to you today. Paul quoted as Isaiah said, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you believe in the truth of Jesus, transfer that trust, call out to him for salvation, and you have the promise of being his son and daughter by faith, adopted into his family, saved from the wrath of God that was then given for Jesus, to Jesus for you. And you can now be reconciled to God and watch the Holy Spirit begin to now invade you and change your heart day by day in accordance with his word and in the beauty of the body of Christ as we walk together. This is salvation, putting your trust in Jesus, your full trust. But it doesn't just stop there. Paul, Paul wants to keep reverse engineering here to go, how do we get there? Okay, so anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call upon him whom they have not believed in and then he says at the end of verse 14, and how are they to believe in him if they've never heard about him? So in order to call out, you've got to believe, but in order to believe, you have to first have heard about Jesus, right? Goes without saying. Obviously, you cannot believe in someone if you have never heard about them. You need to know about Jesus Christ. There are men and women on this earth who still don't know about Jesus Christ. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. They need to hear there's a God who loves them and has sent their son, his son to die for them and to raise for them, to forgive them of their sins and to cancel their debts and to make them new. They need to hear this message. And that goes hand in hand at the end of verse 14. And how can they hear unless somebody goes and preaches to them? How can they hear without a message? You cannot hear about something unless somebody is gonna tell you about it. There has to be some form of an articulated message that is preached to you, that is, that is actually delivered to you so that you can hear what has been done for you. You can hear who Jesus is, what he's done, and what is required of you for this salvation. And y'all, I just wanna pause here for a second because I think this is tremendously important especially in our generation today. One of the things I love 
about just even the last couple of decades of my life versus even the first couple of decades of my life is just seeing the zeal for so many have to make so many wrongs in our culture right, to not see hypocrisy just embraced. And there has been so many beautiful movements to see justice and to see truth and to call out hypocrisies and to see these alignments. Um, But one of the fears that I have is that we have somehow been misled to believe that our actions are actually going to speak louder than words. It's a great phrase. Uh, I saw so many just, uh, I remember there's a a church I was at in Denton that that, uh, I walked into a gym and had big letters up on the gym wall. It was a a paraphrase of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi, who who's famously said, preach the gospel 24-7 is what they put up there, and use words when necessary. And that was real catchy, man. Everybody's like, yeah, because part of that's a swing from our previous generation is we're just going, we had a hard, staunch truth conveyors, yet who lived in hypocrisy in our culture and turned a blind eye to the ills around us. We don't want that, so let's all hit with the, the, the social justice deeds that are here, which are great, but we have now neglected the words. And the truth is, is that when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ, it needs to be both visible and verbal. To say, preach the gospel 24-7, use words when necessary, that's a great little statement, is just wrong. Words are necessary. They are absolutely necessary. Paul quotes here, how can they believe unless they hear? There's got to be a gospel message. And just as in every Olympic track meet, there has to be a faithful handoff from one generation to the next. And I'm seeing a baton of gospel articulation dropped because we're so afraid of preaching this message and have it be inconsistent here that we'll just drop the message altogether. There is no salvation apart from the good news about Jesus Christ. And so there there must be a message preached so that message can be heard, so that message can be believed, so those people can then call upon Jesus for salvation. But it doesn't end there. In order for there to be a message, it assumes something else. Paul says in verse 15, and how are they to preach that message? Unless they are sent. There has to be some sending. There has to be some going in order for that message to be preached and heard and believed and called upon. And so they gotta be sent out. Now, in context here, who is the one that is sovereign over the sending? In context of this chapter, it is God. In other words, the same God who is sovereign over the saving is the same God that is sovereign over the sending. The end is not contradicted by the means. It's not independent of the means. God has built out both the end and the means. And the means that he has chosen, this is what's crazy, the means that God has chosen in order to deliver a preached message to be heard and believed and cried out upon, you know what it is? It's not a what, it's a who. Look around, this is the means right here, you and I. The very recipients of the message of Christ 
we then get to be the messengers who then turn around and go deliver that same message that we received to other people. This is what fascinates me. I remember as a young believer trying to get my head around this, the infinite wisdom of God in the vehicle that he has chosen to distribute the gospel. It blows my mind. God could have picked any way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He could have sent angels just to air bomb us with tracks, just floating down, you know? Man, seems like there should be a God to worship around here. (laughs) Comes down, whoa, it's Jesus. He could have had plants grow up with lettering on the plants to just spell out Jesus saved as you're walking down the road. Uh, You know, there could have been so many crazy ways in which God could have shared the news that he wanted to share to the world that he created. And yet he chose us to be the ones to deliver that message. And I love how he synthesizes it all at the end of verse 15. Listen to this. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He quotes here from Isaiah. And what this is quoting from in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, is This is describing a period in Israel's history when Israel is in captivity. They are being judged because of their idolatry. They're in captivity. It seems like there is no way out. Everybody's going to perish. And then some news shows up in Isaiah 52. And God lets these people know the day is coming when you're gonna be freed and you're gonna get to go home. And this was good news that was preached to Israel. In ancient days in Israel, it was quite common that as a king went to battle and and, uh, took his army out to the battlefield and all those who were staying back home in the city were eagerly awaiting what is the news of the battlefront. Are we winning? Are we losing? And what the king would do is the king would appoint a messenger, would appoint a herald, as soon as they made ground, as soon as they conquered their enemy, the king would appoint a messenger to run as fast as he could all the way back to the city. And as he is running, there are people in the watchtowers of the city walls overlooking the fields, waiting for the herald to come. And then out of the horizon, they see it. And all they can see is this little dot running towards them and as loud as he can is just yelling, good news, good news, good news. And the word that's translated in Hebrew that is now retranslated into Greek right here is the word that we get gospel for good news. It means glad tidings, good message. And this herald would run and Paul takes that idea, he takes that image and that quote from Isaiah and he places it here in Romans in the context of Jesus Christ and the message about who he is and what he has done. And he says, when that message is sent out with a herald, how beautiful are the feet of that runner who's coming to bear that good news. It's a beautiful picture of how God wants his message to be shared, that he would impart this, not only the salvation to us through Jesus Christ, but that he would impart the message of that salvation to us as well, to go out as heralders of the gospel. God's intention in his sovereignty is to use you and I 
every one of us. This is not Navy SEAL stuff. This is not just reserved for those people that are really sharp in their articulation and who are well-trained and who are gonna go out. This is anybody. How, how long does it take for a lit candle to light up a room? Instantly. In the same way, when you have received Jesus Christ, the message that you believed in, you now can take that message out right here in your spheres where you are to your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, and you can share with them about how Jesus has saved you, who he is and what he's done and, and how it's changed your life. And you can share that with somebody else. This doesn't have to be varsity ball here. We just get to be messengers, faithful heralds to announce what God is doing. Now, let me ask you this, this question here. Does that mean that since God has chosen, if, if God has indeed chosen, as Ephesians 1 says, and Romans 9 has told us, that he has chosen the salvation before the foundations of the earth, does that mean that said person in Tehran, Iran, that God wants to save, or Dallas, Texas, that is not yet following Jesus, but God is going to save, does that mean that if you and I don't go reach that person, that that person is gonna miss out on that salvation because of us? Let me tell you something, man. I, as a brand new Christian, 15 years old, I'm in a youth group, and one of the youth group nights, they showed a video that terrified the mess out of me. Some of you may have seen this video. It's already creating trauma. You're sitting here, you're watching this video. It's a, of a guy in a high school, and you see this kind of interplay of he's a Christian, he's, he knows he kind of needs to share the gospel with this girl that's not a Christian, and he, he has all these great intentions. He just never gets around to it, and then one day she dies in a car wreck. And, he, and you, you feel his weight, like this is all on me. And then at the end of the deal, you see her in hell and, and, you, and she's burning and he's over here weeping going, it's all my fault. And I'm going, oh my gosh. I mean, the terror in that video and thinking, is this what this thing's about? Lord, help me. If the salvation of planet earth is resting on Shay Sumlin's shoulders, God help us all. Can you imagine carrying that weight? But, but here's, the, here's the good news. Nothing is going to thwart God's plans. Job 42.2 has already told us that God can do all things and no purpose of his will be thwarted, period. If God is going to save said person, God is gonna save said person. There's nothing that's gonna stop God from doing that. That is not up to me. That is up to God. Certainly, if I don't, I hate to even play this math, but to be intellectually faithful, certainly if I don't, yes, the assumption is somebody else will. Certainly, God can go into these closed spaces, and we've seen and heard stories of this, of God showing up in dreams to share the message of Jesus Christ to folks. God can do anything he wants and will. That is not the point. The point of Romans 10 is to show us that what he has also chosen is for the invitation for us to come join him. We get the unspeakable privilege of getting to be God's messengers. What an incredible opportunity. This is not a have to, y'all. This is a get to. It's not them who are gonna miss out. It'd be us who's gonna miss out on the joy of joining with God in his ultimate plan of redemption to save a new humanity and a new family for himself and his glory.
And to allow us into that is unspeakable privilege. For those of us who have concluded that sovereign election of God somehow eliminates the need for evangelism, that somehow I can just sit back and go, eh, if God's in charge, I guess I don't need to share. Take that, Calvinism. If that's the posture that we're gonna have towards that, then let me just give you two, I think, significant examples that would tell us otherwise. One is Jesus Christ himself, the very author of salvation, the one who created the idea to begin with, that he, by his mercy, is gonna go save a people who could not save themselves, who chose before the foundations of the earth that he is going to redeem. That very God didn't just sit by and go, well, I got it in charge, it'll just happen. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus was sent to accomplish that very mission, to become our good news, to become our salvation. Jesus was willing to go in humility. Philippians chapter two tells us that Christ did not consider equality with God as something he had to hold on to, but he emptied himself, came to earth, took on the likeness of human flesh, became a bondservant, went all the way to death on a cross for us. And yet Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 20, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Same God that decrees the end also decrees the means of sending. And if you want another example, look no further than the one who is penning these very words that we're reading. The apostle Paul, who God used by the power of the Holy Spirit to explain what sovereign election is all about and God's power to save. And Paul is penning these words. And yet, when we study Paul's life, when we read Paul's story, starting in Acts chapter 13, all the way through the end of Acts 28, think about what are we reading about the Apostle Paul? We're not reading chronicles of how he just stayed home in his mom's basement and was blogging to everybody going, listen, God's got this thing so you don't have to do anything. No, what do we see? We see Paul hitting the streets, going unto the nations. Second Corinthians tells us he was persecuted, he was beat. He traveled over 10,000 miles in his ministry lifetime just to make sure that the gospel was preached in every city so that everybody had an opportunity to respond to this gospel so that God would save whom God had planned to save. So no, sovereign election does not diminish or eliminate our need for evangelism or our desire for evangelism. It intensifies it, as seen in Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. God doesn't have to use any of us to reach the lost, but he chooses to. He wants to. He invites us to join him in his plan for reaching and redeeming. I think about the story of um, Paul goes into Corinth in Acts 18. I've shared before, it's, it's the only... Only time you see in all Paul's journeys where he actually has to take a Nazarite vow because he is terrified of the wickedness of the city that he's about to go into. And it's the only time in Paul's journeys where the red letters show up in your Bible. And Jesus speaks to him directly. He says, you do not need to be afraid. You know why? Because I have many people in this place who I'm gonna save. Now, Paul didn't know who they were. Paul didn't know which, which people in that city God was gonna redeem, but God did. And so that fueled Paul. The understanding of God's sovereignty is what liberated Paul to unashamedly go into a difficult place 
and just be faithful to share the good news and trust the Lord with the rest of it. Our job is not to preoccupy ourselves with the mind of God as much as it is to preoccupy ourselves with the mission of God. And you see the same thing in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, right before Jesus ascends, his disciples are just Q&A in him over and over about end times. We would love this. Sit around with Jesus. How's it all gonna end, Jesus? Like, when are you coming back? You know, what's it gonna be like? What are the birth pains? What are the, what are the signs? What do we need to be? What, tell me how it's all gonna end. How, how are you gonna pull this off? You remember what Jesus says so graciously. Listen, as for the times and the epics about how that all is gonna play out, that's not for you to know. My father knows that. He's got it under control. As for you, I want you to be preoccupied with what you do know, which is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You and I are to be about God's business because he's invited us in out of his grace to do so. And y'all, there are many more places that need to be reached. The Joshua Project tells us that as of today, there's a little over 7,400 unreached people groups in America. I'm sorry, in the world. 7,400 unique people groups in the world. Unreached. Now, we need to define that. What does unreached mean? It means it's different than unsaved. A lot of people go, well, there's a lot of unreached here in Dallas. No, they're, they're unsaved, but they're not unreached. Why? Because you and I are here. We have the ability. There's access to Christians. Unreached places are parts of our world where the, the good news of Jesus Christ has yet to penetrate. They have no churches. They don't have eight churches down the block from us. They don't have Christians that are working with them at their jobs who can share that. There are no Christians anywhere. They are unreached. And yet we know from Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 that at the end of time, Jesus promises us that what's sitting around the throne worshiping in heaven are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people. That means of those 7,400 unreached people groups right now, the promise from Jesus is there will be at least one person from every one of those groups that will be in heaven worshiping, at least, unless Jesus is a liar, and he's not. That means somebody is gonna bring the gospel there. The question is who? And what comes to my mind is Isaiah 6, when God says to Isaiah, who will go for me? And Isaiah goes, here I am, Lord, send me. It's not a have to, Lord, it's a get to. You've revealed your truth to me. You have redeemed me. Then use me as you wish. I find it joy to go into those places. And here in just a little bit, we're gonna actually commission seven members of this church who've spent the last year being trained and are now at that place where they're saying as Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me, I'm willing to go. Wherever it is, if you need me to stay in Dallas, if this is the mission field you've called to me, great. If it's to go to one of those 7,400 unreached people groups or other parts of this world that need Jesus, I'm here, I'm ready. And I, I, I gotta believe there's more in this room whom the Lord's gonna raise up. And I'm not just talking about some elite Navy SEALs that are going, I'm talking about every one of us viewing ourselves as sent ones. We have a banner right over the door when you leave that says, you are sent not speaking just to those seven people. It's all of us. If you've been redeemed in Jesus, then we are commissioned out to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are places that need to be reached. My prayer is that God would use Northway Church 
to wake us up and realize we are only on this earth for a little bit of time. God's put you in your job for a reason. You don't have to eject from your job. You need to be faithful there, honor God there, and be a light for the gospel there. And there are places across the earth that we need people to go. And maybe you can take your job with you, the training you've got, and go do that over there and be a light bearer. Maybe you're gonna be sent into a closed country and we're gonna rally around and support you and go in there, whatever it may be. Did you just listen to the Spirit's leading? And let's be obedient to that call. Maybe, just maybe, there's more in here that the Lord would send. Wherever it is, whether it's your family, your coworkers, your neighborhood, your office, I mean, your city of Dallas, or whether it's to the ends of the earth, we want to be a resource to one another towards that end. We either want to send you, we want to support you, want to pray for you, but it's going to take a team effort. And I want you to know here at Northway, the last thing I or our pastors ever want to do here is, whether it's with giving or with um, evangelism, is just do more drive-by guiltings for you and just try to just shame you and get you to go, we don't, that's not how we, we roll here. That's not the understanding of the gospel that we have. We believe the greatest motivator that God has employed for our obedience on mission is grace. Grace is what compels us in salvation. Grace is what compels us towards holiness, and grace is what compels us towards going. It is grace, it is not shame. It is the gift, the vertical grace that God has given us in Christ, not counting our trespasses against us, but giving us a righteousness that we didn't earn or deserve through faith. That vertical grace should then extend horizontally so that we move outward to go be a blessing amongst the nations with the gospel of Jesus. Now, having said that, we do believe that sometimes we need a little encouragement. We do need some gospel-centered conviction. And certainly we need some resourcing. And there are pathways for that. If your excuse is simply, um, you know, I, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I believe in Christ. I'm following him, but I, I really don't know how to go share my faith like that. Man, welcome to the, welcome to the club. We've all started there. We wanna help each other get to the next step. And so we have pathways available to you, whether it's a gospel community that you would be in where together with brothers and sisters in Christ, you are learning how to, how to employ just rhythms in your life that are being a, a verbal and visible witness to Jesus where you live, work, and play and holding one another accountable to that and encouraging. There's Northway training. There's equipping classes. We have a whole team of uh, men and women here whose job is to help mobilize our body, to help tap you on the shoulder, uh, ping your radar, and simply say, hey, have you considered being a faithful evangelist here? Let us train you towards that end. Let's teach you how to share the faith. Have you considered using your, your job as the mission field? Let us help you, equip you in that. There are a number of ways that we can help build confidence into your, your obedience, your grace-based obedience to go share the gospel by helping you understand, articulate it, practical ways to relationally invest. Let us help you. Come see us afterwards. Come grab any of our staff here. We'd love to help connect you to those pathways. Anything but indifference. Anything but indifference. What Paul tells us here in these two verses, in order for somebody to call upon the name of the Lord, they've got to believe. In order to believe, they've got to hear a message. In order to hear a message, they need, they need a message delivered to them. In order for that message to be delivered to them, somebody's got to be sent out with it. And that somebody 
is all of us. I would say the next greatest resource that you and I need to accomplish this as Northway Church is prayer. Prayer that God would gird us up, fuel us with a zeal for his glory, fuel us with a zeal to make known the riches of his grace to all those around us and not be ashamed of the gospel. And we need to pray for the lost among us, just as somebody was praying for you and I, that our hearts would be opened, our eyes would be opened to see Jesus and to receive him. And so I, wanted, I don't wanna go a step further here. I want us to take the next couple of minutes. I wanna invite the band to come back up here before we do communion. And I would just love for us to pray. Every one of us in here knows somebody who is far from Jesus right now. Somebody who needs the message of Jesus. Somebody who needs salvation. Somebody right now who's rejecting Jesus. Maybe they heard the gospel and their just heart is hardened towards it and they need a breakthrough. You know who that person is. Ask the Spirit who that person is that you can pray for right now and beg the Lord to save them. Maybe it's praying for a country right now, an entire one of those 7,400 unreached people groups. You received some cards when you came in um, that have some opportunities to pray for around that. Spend some time praying there. And let's ask the Lord to do what only he can do for his glory. The arms of the Lord are not too short to save. So let's ask him to save, okay? So let's pray right now and then we'll take communion here in just a moment together. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m. and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.